Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Hoping we find you all in good form and that you had a lovely weekend. Weather-wise, it wasn't the best. It wasn't really one of those weekends to get out and about. So hopefully, whatever you did, you really enjoyed yourself. Anything you want to share with us today on the programme, we'd love to hear from you. 1850 I don't know if anyone was listening to me when I was teeing up the programme with Simon uh, in the last hour. I mentioned that I woke early this morning to a text message that had come into my phone at 13 minutes past three. Now, delighted to say the text message didn't wake me at 13 minutes uh, past three. But it was from my bank. I bank with Permanent TSB asking me to contact them as soon as possible on a 24-hour uh, number that they gave me on the text message. It was a Dublin number um, and it was the, the text said it's regarding activity on your visa credit card. Your card usage may be restricted at this time. So obviously you get a message like that then alarm bells start to ring and you think oh is this, a t- is this a scam? Is this one of those scams that I'm always talking about on the radio and that I'm always warning people about and how ironic would it be if I got sucked in by a scam myself when I, I do my level best to try to alert people to these scams. So the first thing I did was I checked with Banking Online to see if there was any unusual activity on my credit card and there didn't appear to be. Then I checked the telephone number that I received on the text message. It was different to the telephone number that's registered online, the Dublin number that's registered online with the permanent TSB on their online banking. So I said, oh God, you know, what is this particular number? And it was, then I checked, it was a genuine Dublin number. So anyway, I did some further investigation to discover that the Dublin number that had been sent to me by text message was their fraud department. So I said, OK, uh, it's, it's safe enough to ring these people. So I rang them this morning at about after seven and I spoke with a gentleman who sounded like he had an Indian accent. So I don't know whether the call centre, the overnight call centre for permanent T- TSB uh, because of the time zones and all of that is, is outside of Ireland and, you know, maybe it is throughout the 24 hours. I don't know if they revert then to, is it, is it to a Dublin call centre when you ring during the day. Anyway, spoke to this really nice guy who all he asked before, because obviously I was being very careful about any information I was going to pass on to this gentleman until I was absolutely sure that he was who he said he was. All he looked for was my uh, permanent TSB Open24 banking number. Uh, which um, which was was okay to give him so I didn't look for any passports or anything like that and then just to confirm the usual date of birth and my name and address and uh, then he proceeded then to tell me that there was a transaction at in our time in the morning 13 minutes past 3 in, in the morning which would have been about 10 o'clock 
over stateside, there was a transaction in the Bronx in New York for somebody parking a car using it at a, using my credit card details at a parking meter. And was I in the Bronx? And was I trying to, or had I tried? Did I park a car? And I said no. I was cosy in my bed at that hour of the morning uh, home here in, in Cork so no I wasn't in the States and hadn't been in the States in the last 24 hours so he said okay your card's been compromised so he said we will now cancel the card obviously the transaction didn't go through he said we will now cancel the card so it just means downside for me is I'm going to be reissued with a new card which I'll receive in the next five days and I will separately get reissued with a new uh, code passcode uh, for it so it's just that's just slightly inconvenient particularly if I've that card registered on any online sites you know that, that I might use um, but I thought you know kudos and you know and I said to the guy in the fraud department well done for picking it up so quickly because as soon as the transaction came in from the Bronx trying to park this car it straight away got flagged as I hadn't contacted them to say I was out of the country which again is proving if you are travelling and going to be using your credit card abroad you really should let your bank know so that then they're they're awaiting activity that wouldn't be normal activity on your card but I thought it was picked up really really quickly and obviously no money has gone out of my card out of my account I just have the uh, the inconvenience and of course you can your card can be compromised in a whole different way uh, you know it, you know it could have been fishing even though I don't use the card that much so I, or skimmed I don't think it was skimmed because I don't use it that much but it's it's usually your card details are usually these gangsters and fraudsters uh, get a hold of them usually to do with some data breach by some big company where mi- literally tens of thousands even millions of credit card details can be taken but you just have to be careful particularly when you get a message like that to react to the message make sure I think I did everything right I was quite proud of myself in the end um, even though at that hour of the morning you're, you've enough to be doing trying to get ready to get out to work without having to deal with the banks but I was quite proud of myself that I seemed to have handled it quite well and okay the only thing now is I have the inconvenience of getting a new credit card but if, if, that's, if that's all the inconvenience I have way better than having a lot of money taken out of my my card. So just be aware of that and I'm wondering how many others when they got a message like that did you react similar to me or what did you do or have you had your card compromised is it is it very I'm open to I'm certainly thinking it's the first time I've ever had my card uh, compromised I know I was talking with Simon on the breakfast show and he was saying he noticed because normally what they do is they'll put a small transaction through to see if the card is still working because if a card is stolen or lost you will report it and it will have been cancelled so they just put a small amount through and Simon uh, told me earlier that he had where one uh, one euro for a charity went through on his card and that's how he realised something suspicious which again is proving you need to check you constantly need to keep on top of your credit cards and your, your debit cards all of your bank cards and go I mean how many people go down through all of the transactions it's something we really need to get into the habit maybe once a month if you bank online just go down through all of the transactions make sure all of the transactions were legitimate transactions that you did and if there is something that looks a bit sus or something you are not aware of then contact your bank and get it checked you're better off or erring on the side of uh, caution so if you have credit card compromising stories to tell us. We'd love to hear from you. 1850 And a little bit later on, John Paul is going to join me in studio with an issue that happened to him over the weekend where he was out and about with friends and trying to get home 
and uh, had a problem trying to try, getting a taxi to take him with them saying, oh, no, I don't really want to do that run. I mean, that's OK. It was John Paul on his own and he wasn't falling around the place drunk or anything. It wasn't any, anything like that. But she's just thinking, you know, a, a young girl on her own wants to get into a taxi and wants to get home ASAP. They don't want to be hanging around trying to find a taxi that will take them to a particular destination. So I'd be interested in hearing from people. Have you had, and this was in the city, by the way, have you had problems? And it was at a taxi wank. When you go to the taxi, you get in to say, will you take me? No, I don't want to do that that, that run. Try one of the other uh, taxis and how inconvenient uh, that can be. So if you have a taxi story to tell us, uh, we would be interested in hearing from you uh, today. Minister Jim Daly is going to join us after 11 o'clock this morning. Some people may have seen a video clip of Jim over the weekend uh, it, he, he fell into a swimming pool <laughs> fully dressed because I saw it I didn't see him fall in I don't know if there's any actual evidence of the falling in it was when he was in the pool in his very smart suit and uh, shirt and tie on him and I was looking I think what's after happening there anyway he's been great sport and he's going to join us on the programme to tell us exactly what happened what needs to be done to make West Cork more wheelchair accessible now we highlighted this on the programme a couple of weeks ago remember that lovely young beauty therapist uh, who joined us a, a spina bifida uh, she has she suffers from spinal bifida so she's a wheelchair user and uh, she's gone on and she has trained and qualified as, as a beauty therapist and her work is curtailed in that she can't get into the city unless she drives herself but driving herself isn't always convenient for her and can be there can be issues from a health point of view also with her driving and that she can if, if she's sitting for too long in, in her own car driving she can get you know in pains and spasms etc so the easiest thing is to use public transport she's okay once she gets to the city but she has a problem getting from West Cork into the city because the buses aren't wheelchair uh, accessible which really knocked me for six I, I, it floored me I could not believe in this day and age that all of our buses are not wheelchair accessible so we've got another uh, listener who wants to highlight that issue with us this morning on uh, the programme one listener tells us her fight against waste plastic and anything we can do to encourage people to get out there and do your bit to stop us drowning in plastic. We know the whole world is drowning in plastic. We need to do something to protect this beautiful earth for future generations because they're going to look back on us and think, what the hell were they thinking of? So it's great to see individuals standing up and saying, yeah, I'm willing to do my own uh, bit. We'll speak with that listener on the programme today. We're going to discuss the life and legacy of Nano Nagel on the programme. If you went to a presentation convent school, you will well know who Nano Nagel was. Nano Nagel was the founder of the presentation uh, convent. But she had an incredible life herself, but it's the legacy, it's what Nano Nagel set in place and then left behind and what happened after she died and the explosion of presentation convents I think is it 24 nations have been reached by presentation sisters all down to Nano Nagel deciding I need to start and set up my own uh, convent so we'll speak about Nano Nagel on the programme today because there's a wonderful book out uh, 
which details the life and legacy of Nanonagel. And Burr in the City says, um, because I mentioned Nanonagel and the Nanonagel, um, there's the Nanonagel Centre in in Kilavollen, which is which is on the site where Nanonagel was born. But then there's Nanonagel Place, which is inside in the city that a lot of people have become aware of it. And I was saying I haven't visited yet, and it, it's it's a place I must. It's one of those ones on my bucket list. I must getting around get get around uh, to doing it. And Burr says, Patricia. If you're visiting Nanonagel Centre, the bee installation that was constructed during the summer is on display in the shop entrance on Douglas Street. Just want to let you know that and it is well worth a visit. Thank you for that, Burr. You've whet my appetite even further as to why I need to get in there and uh, to see it. So thank you. Uh, we will hear about a campaign to help parents at Crumlin Street Children's Hospital. This is a lovely lovely campaign called Hugs for Crumlin. Crumlin Street is an amazing hospital and if you've had occasion to go there you, you're there because you've got a sick child so it can be a very very stressful time for the mums and the dads and the grannies anybody else who supports a family when they have a sick child that needs to go to Crumlin Street Children's Hospital so this is a little campaign to do something nice for the parents and it's been organised by a parent who has a child who regularly attends uh, Crumlin. So I think it's, and it's one of our own local parents. It's a lovely, lovely uh, campaign. We'll talk about that later on. And Annalise Giselle will join us from the Health Hub Times Square in Ballancolic. So a lot, lot to get through between now and one o'clock today. Your thoughts and comments welcome throughout the morning. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Wonderful pictures, by the way, in uh, the papers today of the inauguration of President Michael D. Higgins. We'll hopefully uh, get to look at uh, some of the commentary and uh, chat about it a little bit later on on the programme. But did you realise that for yesterday, for there was a 19 hour period yesterday where we were without a leader. We were without a president because midnight the night before was when President Michael D. Higgins ceased to be president and then it took 19 hours for his inauguration. And during that 19 hours, it seems the committee, including the Count Corla, were running the country. Not that I think any of us noticed that for 19 hours we were basically a rudderless uh, uh, ship but on uh, Michael D Higgins a listener has made a comment um, saying that Patricia Brexit is a shambles. When in England you'd be hard pressed to meet people in favour of leaving the EU they say, many say, not all many say they want another referendum because they got false information when they last uh, voted. Also I feel President Michael D Higgins should be more involved in the Brexit negotiations and what could or couldn't or won't happen when the final deal is in place. It was 2014 was the last time that President Michael D. Higgins visited the United Kingdom. Was it that? Was it that four years ago? If it was Donald Trump in America, the whole world would be told that the mess Brexit is. It is too serious to let this pass uh, quietly. So I don't know, does Michael D. Higgins have a role to play? I mean, we do know, and it was something that very much came out during the presidential campaign, is the ceremonial role that is the presidency. I don't know how much he can actually get involved in. I'm sure if the government felt that Michael D. Higgins could help in any way in a softer Brexit, in that a softer Brexit for Ireland, he would be wheeled out and he would be put in the plane and sent to America ASAP. But I think you are right. It does all seem like it's a bit of a shambles at the moment. And the 11th hour seems to be very, very fast approaching. I mean, we've been talking about Brexit for so many years now, but it was kind of one of those things, oh, we were kicking the can down the street because oh, it wasn't going to happen. It's just not going to happen until March 
2019. March 2019 is so, so fast approaching. And actually talking of things fast approaching, thank you to somebody who sent in a text to point out, uh, Patricia, do you realise that six weeks today is Christmas Eve? how quick is Christmas coming uh, upon us now I want to go back to last Friday for a moment because towards the close of the programme we had a text in from a listener that we got a lot of reaction to and I didn't get a chance to pick up on a lot of the reactions so I just want to pick up on it uh, here and it was to do with uh, somebody who was giving out about going into a doctor's practice it was a very busy doctor's practice and in order to speed up the appointments and get people in and out of the surgery as quickly as possible they had somebody who as you came into the waiting room you were being asked your name, address and your date of birth obviously so that the back office could find your file and import all of the information. I'm assuming it's all gone computerised now in all of the doctor's practices so that when you went into the doctor, the doctor would have everything, in front, he or she would have everything in front of them and they would be able to speed up the appointment. That's the thinking behind it. But this lady who contacted us said she didn't like the idea of saying her date of birth out loud as a lady. You don't always like to tell, you, tell your age. And she found it a little bit uncomfortable that everybody was being asked their name and date of birth and she wondered did others feel the same or was she just being a little bit sensitive about it I have to say judging by the reaction we got you're not being a little bit sensitive a lot of people felt strongly and felt the very same way and didn't like the idea of in public being asked for your date of birth and some of the commentary that came in to us uh, by email to patricia at c103.ie on the subject of the medical centre asking for your date of birth if you go to hospital to a hospital waiting room or an emergency department, there's absolutely no privacy. You cannot help but hear other people's information. Patients on trolleys have no privacy whatsoever and they have to answer very private and at times very intimate questions to medical staff within feet of other patients. It's par for the course, alas. Not right, but in this day and age, particularly with the hospital crisis, what choice do we have? If that lady did not want to give out her information, she just should have said so to the receptionist. But I suppose people... While, while you might want to be brave enough to say, I don't really want to give you my date of birth in front of everyone, then everybody knows you don't want to give your date of birth and you're drawing attention to yourself. So while, you know, you give the information, you might not be happy about giving it. But I think very few people would be brave enough to stand up and say, no, I'm not giving you that information, particularly when it's in a doctor's practice. Someone else says, speaking of surgeries, does anybody else at this experience, you ring up, make an appointment with a specific doctor. And when you, th- when you arrive, you're then dealt with by a different doctor. This has happened to me twice recently. No apology and no explanation. It is very annoying. Do other people find that annoying and do other people not like that that you want to go to and I suppose you build up a rapport with a particular doctor and when you ring up to make an appointment with Dr X and you turn up you expect to be seen by Dr X but instead you get called into Dr Y but you're never told why you're not going into the, the first the doctor that you wanted to go in and uh, see do people have an issue with that or is it the other side aren't you lucky that you're getting in to see a doctor at all kind of attitude someone else said I went to my local guard the station to hand in an item that I found. I was asked for my date of birth in front of other people. Isn't that a strange one? Handing in an item you were found. Why we asked your date of birth? So it doesn't just happen that doctors' uh, surgeries. I find that very bizarre. Why would a member from Garda Chiacona, if I find a wad of money, for example, and I'm being very honest and I go into my Garda station station to say, look, I found this, I would assume they would look for details of where I found it 
and then they would look for details like my name, uh, my address, maybe even my telephone number so they can contact me to say the money has been found or is it a year and a day the money hasn't been found please come back in and collect your winnings because it would feel like a winning if it had never been uh, collected but your date of birth that really is a strange one and that also led to somebody else with a suggestion that I think is good if you really don't like the idea of calling out your date of birth in front of everyone and you don't and you know the date of birth is needed for them to access your file somebody Margaret says why not write down your name and date of birth have it written on a piece of paper and then you could hand that in you'd be it would be, you you could keep all of your details uh, private so maybe if you know in advance that it's going to happen you could have it written down so as soon as they say name name and date of birth you have it on a piece of paper and you just hand it in that's a very clever way around it Margaret and you're not insulting anyone not that you'd be not you wouldn't be insulting somebody by refusing to give the date of birth but you're not drawing attention to the fact that you don't want everybody in the room knowing your date of birth. And just one other one on doctor's practices but this is more to do with overcrowded GP surgeries. Redoctors, says a texter. In my local medical centre if you have the misfortune of getting through to one particular receptionist member you'll be lucky to get an appointment with whatever doctor you wish to see but you could be waiting at least two weeks. The choice is to wait until there's a change of staff midweek when a different person will answer the phone and then ring or else uh, or, or else you can go to a different practice. Most locals now reckon patient numbers have actually left this particular GP practice as it's very rare to go into a half empty waiting room. It used to be the case before. Now you go in and the waiting room is always jam packed. That's just a very, very busy doctor's practice and that's happening everywhere. I think a lot of it as well, doctors themselves I imagine will 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 confirm this because the, is it the under six now are all free, all have uh, free GP visit cards that has seen an increase in parents bringing their children to the doctor. Now I'm not ever saying a parent before this would stop and think about going to, to the doctors because of cost. If your child is sick, your child is sick. But when they are free to the doctor, you look at a child one day and think, oh yeah, maybe you need a trip to the doctor. Now, if you've got to pay 50, 60 euro for it, you might wait a day or two and then, you know, whatever the issue is might clear up itself. But now what is tendency to happen is as soon as you think the child may need to see a doctor, a number of parents are actually bringing their child in because it is free of charge. That's putting huge pressures pressure on GP surgery and the amount of we know there's been an increase in the amount of medical cards but certainly an increase in the number of GP visit cards that have been handed out which is putting huge huge pressure on GP uh, practices and I, I take it every single GP practice all over the country is seeing an increase in, in numbers of patients who want to sign up and, and I mean you, you, will, you will find in some GP practices they'll have a sign up saying they're not taking new patients uh, because they literally have so many uh, as it is. So, I mean, I don't think you will ever uh, on a Monday. I mean, Monday is always a kind of a busy day at the doctor's practice if people have been sick over the weekend and they're holding off and waiting to go in. But it would be, it would, you are right in your text and saying it would be very rare to walk into a waiting room and you'll be the only, you'll be the only person uh, in there. That day certainly is gone. 1850 John Paul taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today with Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow. It's family run so your loved one will feel at home. See Breedhaven 
When I mentioned earlier, well, somebody pointed it out to me six weeks today, is Christmas Eve. Here's a, a festive event I've been asked to give a mention to on behalf of the McCroom Flower and Garden Club. Their annual charity floral demonstration is happening this Thursday, the 15th of November with Margaret Ahern of IFA and it's entitled Festive Cheer and the night will support Pieta House and the McCroom Senior Citizens Association. Doors will open at uh, seven and all are very welcome to uh, go along. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I spoke with Sarah DeLay, a young West Cork beauty therapist and a wheelchair user who was highlighting the fact that the bus in her area that would, would allow her to work in the city was not wheelchair accessible. We contacted Bus Aram. They came back to us and blamed the dips on the road and the footpaths in West Cork as the reason. A Social Democrat candidate in West Cork is taking up the cause and she joins me um, as we say good morning to you, Evie Nevin. Good morning to you, Evie. It's Evie, but Evie, good morning. Evie, my apologies, <laughs> Evie. You're, you're right. Because it was almost rhyming with, with Nevin. Evie, you're very welcome. Um, you also sometimes need a wheelchair to get around. Just explain why first. Uh, so I have a, a condition called Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, which um, affects my connective tissue. So um, I would dislocate my joints very easily. My hips are a massive problem. And then there are days I feel very dizzy and weak. So um, I try not to use my wheelchair as much as possible, obviously, to avoid you know muscle wastage and stuff like that. But there are times I do need to use them. And there are times I need to go up to the city for hospital appointments and things like that or if I just want to go up into the city you know for a look around or whatever and I can't um, because the buses can't get me on and uh, with my chair so um, that's, and, that's, and and this has always been the case it is yeah it's it's that's the way it's been and like there has been kind of a, a conscious effort um, with local people to make uh, West Cork, you know, more accessible and more inclusive. But um, it really is down to Cork County Council to kind of make these things happen. And the argument from Bus Aaron that it's the bus stops are mm-hmm. not accessible stops. Yeah. Um, I mean, surely that's a simple thing that can be rectified. Yeah, well, you'd think so, yeah. <laughs> um, so when I spoke to Cork County Council, they said um, that they could provide, you know, accessible stops um, at locations um, subject to if there is an established need for the facility, if there are safe locations available, and if they can get the necessary funding from the National Transport Authority. Now, when you consider there are 11,000 people in Cork Southwest living with disabilities, of those 11,000, 5,000 have difficulties with climbing stairs, um, lifting and carrying. So, you know, majority of those 5,000 people would kind of need an accessible um, bus um, so they don't have to climb up the stairs into the bus. Um, so there definitely is a, a need, need yeah. for these for these accessible stops. Like there's two accessible stops in Skibbereen, but sure, they're of no use if the actual bus isn't accessible. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so yeah. and because, because they don't have accessible stops in West Cork, I take it then the bus that they use for West Cork isn't accessible either? No, yeah. it's not. No. Um, so, yeah, it's it's kind of, and what you're, what other people um, don't realise as well um, is that 
you know, West Cork, we are very well known for our tourism and yeah. people come down here and visit and, you know, you're you're kind of discriminating, discriminating against a fairly substantial portion of society from coming down and visiting. Yeah, and we, and we would have no way of knowing, um, uh, Evie, the, the figures on this, but surely there has been people in the past, wheelchair user, who wanted to visit West Cork and discovered, oh, I can't go on the bus. It has to have happened. Uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, the, um, sometimes if you can Google, you can Google like um, reviews from people who have visited yeah. and the amount of them that say, um, well, sure, I couldn't take the bus down because of the wheelchair or I couldn't get around because the wheelchairs or the restaurants weren't accessible or the footpaths weren't accessible. It's just like the entire area really needs an overhaul to make it accessible for everybody Um, and not just for people with disabilities but for older people as well and we're an aging population Mm. um, just you know disability doesn't discriminate it can happen to anyone at any time Um, so this is something that uh, Cork County Council really needs to start taking seriously uh, because when you think about 13% of the population are living with disability you know we're not a small uh, minority of people really and as young Sarah pointed out to us when I spoke with her a few weeks ago, once you get to the city, you're OK, because the city buses are wheelchair accessible. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, one thing I, I was, um, I got onto our local access group, so we've got Chronic Healthy Access Group uh, here, and it uh, has been up and running since 1999, and they've been working tirelessly. They're incredible. All these, yeah. They are absolutely amazing. And so this issue has come up before with them and so I you know I got on to them and said you know what happened before so that you know what I'm developing I'm planning on developing a proposal so we can um, you know tackle this issue um, and I'm hoping that um, the two of us well the group and myself can work together to, to get this sorted out um, so basically the the idea now at the moment is to come up with an idea, come up with some sort of compromise, even if a couple of the buses were like, you know, the kind of the city type buses. Mm. Um, if we had a couple of those running a day into the city, um, you know, when uh, during the quieter times, maybe when the buses don't need something like that, um, so that we're not discriminating against people. And because, you know, a lot of people with disabilities, they do have regular hospital appointments. Um, so they need they need the service. Whereas very, now very they even have to drive themselves. Are they relying on somebody else uh, to well, take them to take them into the city? I mean, but your hometown of of Clonakilty, very much leading the way. I mean, we we actually ran an interview and a piece on it here on the programme when they became the first um, autism-friendly town. So, I mean, it just seems bizarre that our national bus service is almost disabling people. It is, and that's exactly it. I mean, it's something I. I'm always saying is that it's not just a disorder or a disease that disables people. Society disables people. Um, you know, life would be much easier if the country was more accessible. Like I was up in Dublin even recently and trying to get around Dublin in my wheelchair was a nightmare. Like, and if our capital city is that difficult to get around, you know, um, it doesn't give us much hope for the rest of the country. And our county mayor at the moment... Um, uh, Patrick Jared Murphy is, is a wheelchair user. That's right, yeah. So, like, the autism-friendly um, initiative 
absolutely fantastic because so many of the people are affected by autism and we have so many families living here. But my goal, should I be elected to Cork County Council, is to make Clonakilty Ireland's first disability and age-friendly town. Um, you know, that we need to kind of take a step further um, to include everybody. And it's, like I said, we have a, a big tourism industry here so we need to be mindful of the people who are also visiting. And there yep. will be, again, a lot of older people as well. We have to be welcoming of everybody. All right, um, uh, Evie, we leave it there. We'll talk again, no doubt. But in the meantime, thank you for that. And uh, thank thanks for so joining much. us. Uh, good morning to you. That is uh, Evie Nevin, who is a Social Democrat candidate in West Cork, once again highlighting that, highlighting that issue of lack of wheelchair accessible buses travelling out from the county um, to and from the city. 1850-333-103. John Paul takes your calls. Court Today with Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow. It's family run so your loved one will feel at home. See breedhaven.ie. C103. Now it's used by people all over the world every day but plastic is causing huge problems for the environment. Experts have calculated that we've produced 8.3 billion tonnes of plastic and most of it is simply thrown away. Uh, Mairead, one of our listeners in West Cork um, shared with us some photographs of plastic she had herself personally collected on beautiful Red Strand. Now we've put those photographs up on our Facebook page and we're encouraging you to go take uh, a look at them but uh, Mairead O'Donovan in Castle Freak uh, joins me. Good morning to you Mairead. Morning Patricia, now, how are you? I'm very well. For those who haven't seen the photographs uh, yet, describe the plastic and the type and the amount of plastic you collect it? Uh, unbelievable really. Well uh, there was uh, lots of like ropes fishing nets, uh, different types of plastic actually I was down there again this morning I found coffee jars, I found wellies, I found bits of buckets whatever, uh, anything and anything I've been finding. Do you know what I mean? It's just unbelievable. And, and over, what, what, over what period of time? Well, I've just kind of started collecting since about a month ago, you know. It's just kind of really kind of been there in front of me, like, for the last month I've been seeing it. Um, but probably with the really rough seas we've been having as well recently, it's been washed in. Um, but, like, as I said, now this morning I was down again and I found, like, big barrels as well being washed in. There was a chain, there was, like, um, whatever. You're finding everything, yeah. you know what I mean? It's just yeah, so it's, it's, this isn't people dumping local plastic. This is coming no, in from the sea. No, you hope some, it's coming in from the sea, yes. yes. So we've no so, idea where it's coming from. Well, I just found, some, you know, this morning, like, a toilet cleaner and it's, like, all foreign language. I think it's Turkey it? or something like that, you know what I mean? Like, but... Uh, what I'm trying to do, I know it might not be much, but I'm just going along picking up whatever I'm seeing. I'm going for every little bit of plastic and just take it off the beach and then I make a heap of it and call the council and get them to come and take it well away. Well done. Well done. You know, and you know, are you encouraging others to, to get involved, go out and go plastic well, I'm picking? Kind of, I'm, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of sharing it on my Facebook page, kind of giving a hint. I'm not saying anything, but I'm hoping yeah. that other people, when they're down on the beach, like we all use the beach with our kids and walking dogs. And, you know, so if you see it, just pick it up. You know, I couldn't, I could not leave it after me. Like I was down the long strand as well last week and that was unbelievable as well. I, I found willies and every type of plastic in there. You know, pick it up and bring it up to the top of the beach. So, uh, yeah, it's just... I don't know. Are you, are you living in that area long? I am. Yeah. Oh, no, it's, uh, I've always been living Yeah, there. you've it's lived there all your life. Yeah. Have you yeah. noticed, say, from when you were a child growing up to now... Is this is is it a problem that's getting worse, or was it oh. always there and we just ignored it? I'd say it's probably got worse. 
Um, but I think probably because there's so much in the media about it now, I've been even more aware of it, I think. Yeah. You know, I'm always looking out for it on the beach, do you know what I mean? And there hasn't been a day that I haven't, you know, picked up something, do you know? But, um, yeah, because yeah, you it's, know, it's, it's, it's called plogging now is the new... It's a combination of jogging and litter picking at the same oh, time. Right. It's gone into the Collins English Dictionary as right. uh, one of the new words of the year. Right, right, right. So if you yeah. jog at the same time, it's plogging is what you're doing. Right, okay. Well, I'll, I'll be walking along. I'm plogging along, you know what I mean? Picking it up as I'm going, you know what I mean? But uh, it's just a shame to see, like, you know, and I grew up, you know, around here, do you know what I mean? I've always been going to that beach and it's just a shame to see it. You know, so um, and just recently as well, I found I found I think it was a dead first seal, and there was another dead bird as well. And I'm wondering, ah. like, are they victims? Do you know what I mean? So, um, and yeah. it's horrible when you see environmentalists put up those photographs of animals, like a bird uh, trapped Absolutely, with yeah. plastic around its mouth, or Absolutely. it's just you know, if yes. you take any sort of a ring off that's plastic. We, we need to cut them before I mean you know even the ones that can be recycled you need to make sure that they get cut so that yes. they can't end up being wrapped around an animal's neck I know I know because with the ropes and fishing bits of it's like bungee rope as well it's all tangled up in the seaweed and I'm thinking if it's tangled up in the seaweed like this you know the marine life has no no hope whatsoever you know it's so it's the case, Maraid, of us all doing our own little bit, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. As I said, we all use the beach with the kids and walking the dogs and just going for a walk. And if you see it, just pick it up and just get it off the beach because it's being washed up. And then if it's not being taken off the beach, it's going out again. And, you know, yeah, just pick it up. Just pick it up and bring it away with you. You know, as I said, I'm just kind of making heaps at the top of the beach, you know what I mean, way off the beach and then, you know, getting the council to come and take it away. Yeah, so anybody else visiting that area, you'll see Maraid's heap of plastic (laughs) and please add to it. That's what you want. Absolutely, absolutely. I know it's great. It's very satisfying, you know, when you've done your little bit. And I get frustrated when I run out of time because I normally like pop to the beach after dropping the kids to school and I've got a little bit of time to spare before I'm going back to work and I get a bit frustrated and I'm, gosh, I haven't finished. You know, so, well done, well yeah. done, well done. Yeah. And a number of people saying well done to that lady, that's uh, to, to Marate. Uh, it's it's uh, terrific what she's doing. Um, were you always conscious, or are you now conscious of your own plastic use? I, I try to be. I yeah. try to be. I'm probably not as much as I should be, but yeah, you'd be kind of thinking, God, oh, there's so much plastic in that. No, there's really no need, you know. It's just, yeah, I think I'm getting a little bit more than what I used to be, more conscious. uh, And we're coming up to Christmas and the amount of waste packaging. And we're going to all do our little bit. Listen, well done. Onwards and upwards and keep at it. Okay, thanks a million. Bye bye. bye -bye. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. A number of people, uh, by the way, saying well done to Maraid for her little bit that she's doing herself to try to clear, clear up the plastic that gets washed up on Red uh, Strand. One listener says, Patricia, we wouldn't have as much plastic in this country if they hadn't done away with milk bottles and drinking bottles. Remember when we used to return the glass bottles? We should never have moved on to plastic. And Jane in Ladiesbridge says the very same issue that Maraid outlined about the red strand and the plastics being washed up. The very same here in East Cork, says uh, Janet. Sorry, Janet in in Ladiesbridge. In a beach near Salins, uh, just outside of Middleton yesterday morning, a lot of plastic had been washed up. We were looking at some of it. It looked, for example, like a wash 
washing up bottle that had come all the way from France plus there was ropes a lot of the ropes of course is fishing isn't it it comes from the fishing industry uh, Janet says this beach is particularly small uh, so it's only known by locals so it isn't anybody dumping it is all of this that is washed up on the beach and we have put the photographs thank you for that Janet we've put the photographs up on our C103 Facebook page if you want to take a look at just the amount of plastics that Mairead collected over a short period she has the, the it was about a two week period that she had gathered at the plastic and, plastic and she's making it now a kind of a, a daily task all, almost and if everybody if you are and you use the beach and you go for a walk a lot on the beach maybe when you're there you'll pick up some of the plastic and as what Mairead is doing it is leaving it in sort of a little mountain of plastic and then the idea will be that the council will come and collect it if everybody does their own little bit it certainly will help. Now at the weekend the Southern Star newspaper shared a video of local Minister Jim Daly going for what looks like an unexpected dip in the swimming pool at the Leisure Centre in Baltimore and Minister Jim Daly joins me. Good morning to you Jim. Good morning. And I'm sure you're smiling when you're thinking about all of this and and you're a great bit of fun to, to talk about it. Tell us what happened. Yeah, I was down in Baltimore on Friday evening around 7pm. Uh, they were at opening, they asked me to attend at the opening or officiate at the opening of the refurbished dressing rooms there. And people may or may not know the history of Baltimore Pool, but it's quite an interesting history. It was part of a hotel in Baltimore that closed in 2009 due to the downturn in the economy. But the local people and the community spirit that you're very familiar and your listeners are with West Cork. Yeah. Uh, came to the fore and they actually rescued the pool and they took ownership of it, the local community themselves, and they have applied for a number of government grants and a lot of fundraising locally and they have a state-of-the-art facility uh, down there available to the public and it's run by volunteers. So it's a really impressive. So they asked me because I had been giving them some assistance with getting grants and some advice and so on and so forth as we do in our job as a TD. They asked me very kindly to come down and officiate at the opening and perform the official opening of the dressing rooms along with Steve Redmond who your listeners will be aware is a, a world-renowned uh, swimmer. So I went down on Friday evening and we opened the dressing rooms and the Southern Star were there. They had Anne Minahan was there, photographer, Jackie Kyo, the reporter. And they were filming and capturing the little bits and pieces, as you do with a lot of these openings. And uh, we were due to go up the road afterwards for some niceties and some tea and sandwiches and so on and so forth. And I was looking forward to that. But in the meantime, they asked me to have a tour of the pool. So I had a look at the pool and I stooped down to test the water, the temperature of the water. I was thinking, God, it's, you know, heating the water, keep it hot all the time or whatever. It's, it's a big challenge. And we were chatty about that. And I think as I was just raising from my crouched down position, uh, one of the guys with me jokingly kind of went, watch yourself, and, and, and kind of pretended to push me. And of course, I think it's just timing and maybe my nervousness, I don't know, disposition, anyway, before I knew where I was or what I was or who I was, I was inside in the water, submerged with my suit and my tie. And, and he, didn't, he didn't push you now, let's get that clear. Then. No, no. Fair, I, we... I, I have told him he's, <laughs> this morning that he's uh, consigned to, uh, or assigned to uh, desk duties for a month <laughs> while an internal inquiry takes place. Well, did you go head first in? Head first in, yeah. Oh. Head first into the water before I knew where I was. I think I was just raising from my crouch and he did what he did, thinking, you know, being funny, watch yourself yeah. and he kind of made contact with me but uh, and I'm being a bit nervous probably just went headlong in before I knew where I was so I'll tell you and I kind of, it was very funny and it was very funny but on a serious side then I, I got an awful 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 fright I haven't got a fright like that with a long long while because I went down under the water and I suppose with your suit on and your shirt and your Panic. tie and shoes and everything 
I, I think you're dragged down, you're submerged down, and uh, I couldn't get out. I was inhaling litres of chlorinated water and, and, and just panicked. I couldn't see myself. I couldn't see how I could get up out of it. You know, normally yeah. you go into water, now I'm not that's a good pan- But it's panic. Panic sets in. I think it was panic. It was complete and utter panic because uh, they have a video, as you said, on the Southern Star website there on southernstar.ie, and uh, look at that video. You can, they didn't catch me falling in. Um, I don't think anybody caught me falling in. It was only just afterwards they were had the photographs and the video. But you can see me in the pool and I'm just aimlessly walking around the pool. I didn't know where I was or what I was. Or, or because what. you see, when I saw that bit first, I thought that you had set it up as a stunt, that you had gone into the water. And I said, God, you brave man in, in his full <laughs> suit. And then it was John Paul. But I was communicating with John Paul and John Paul said, no, he fell in. I said, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. um, but because but, but, it, was, it, it was shallow, thank God, wasn't it? It's, it, it's yeah. shallow. Yeah, it's a shallow enough full. It wasn't. I think the pool is the same depth. Somebody told us instead of at both ends. Oh, okay. But it was. It wasn't. Um, it wasn't deep. Right. There was no danger to me. I suspect. Well, it, it is frightening when you land underwater and, and unexpectedly, and you you can't get out of it. I think the clothes were pulling me down. Yeah. All the clothes around me as they filled with water. But uh, I got out and uh, regained my composure, and I had to um, got out of the pool. And uh, I said to one of the lads, "Is there anything in my car that uh, I could?" They were very. The locals were very kindly offering to get suits for me. Up, you know, go yeah. home to get a suit and whatever, because we had a second part of the ceremony to attend to, to go for the tea and sandwiches. And I just, anyway, I suppose my dignity and my pride was hurt as well as everything else. <laughs> being stunned. So I fell on. I had a tracksuit in the boot of the car and a pair of rudders and uh, was soaking wet. But anyway, I was able to change it and I went home. I didn't go to the second Come here, and, and the other thing I, I thought of straight away, uh, were you wearing a watch and did you have a phone in your pocket? Yeah, no, thank God. I, I have a good habit of... Um, you know, I don't wear a watch most of the time. I don't wear a watch. I don't have one on me now. I don't rarely wear a watch. But uh, the phone was the first thing I thought of as well. But ordinarily, when I get out of the car, it has happened to me too many times that the phone has gone off at the wrong time. You know, when I'm mm-hmm. making a speech or when I'm at a funeral or whatever. So I have that good habit of just throwing the phone into the front of the car as I get out of the car going to events. I just throw the phone in. So thankfully I didn't. But I had a wallet and a few 50 euro notes that I've been drying out since uh, <laughs> in the... At home and they've in the hot press, I have a, a couple yeah. of fifty euros and, and cards and things to dry out in the wallet. But that's fine. and are you getting are you getting a, a, a much reaction? Did you get much reaction over the weekend to the video going up? Oh on? yeah, I yeah. Mean, some of the neighbours, you know, I have one neighbour there, uh, Mary Papart, was a very kind lady and uh, rang me to know was I all right. But she was in the hysterics laughing. She <laughs> could not contain herself and could not carry it off to even stay long enough on the phone to ask me how I was. So <laughs> I think most people just are, are struggling with keeping serious, but they're trying to ask me was I all right. But you're okay, and that's. And that's the, that's the most important thing. And just on a more serious note, the, the, the fair deal reform, which, of course, uh, you are leading to make the scheme fairer for, for business owners and farmers, uh, it could be delayed, according to newspaper reports today. Yeah, there's a number of issues. Have Well, I suppose there was always the, the, the threat of that, you know, as when you change any scheme. The, the biggest challenge is to make sure that it's what we call court-friendly, that there's no challenge in the courts to it afterwards. So a number of anomalies have arisen in situations arising what-ifs, what we refer to as what-if scenarios, have arisen that have to be teased out, and we are teasing them out, but there's just a legal aspect has to be kind of, I suppose, to make sure that the legislation is compliant and that it's, that it's fair, um, ironically, the fair deal, but that, that there's equity in what the changes we make. There's no threat to what we're doing. Uh, they're just taking a little bit longer to iron out because they have arisen. They're just answers we need to have so that when it goes through the houses of the Oireachtas and that's how legislation works that TDs and senators when they challenge and say but what about or what if we mm. need to have an answer to every one of those scenarios. But I'm still very, very I suppose anxious and, and hopeful to get the heads of the bill 
into the house and published before the, the year end, before the end of this year. And I suppose the point I make all the time, Patricia, if I may again on your show here, and I know you've, you've given me lots of time on this, is to make sure that people, if they are considering putting a loved one into a nursing home or if somebody themselves is considering going into a nursing home, please don't delay it waiting for these changes because as soon as the changes take hold, they will be applied retrospectively to everybody okay. who's in the nursing home already. And everybody has to pay for the first three years anyway. The 7.5% comes for the first three years. So if somebody goes into a nursing home today, they will be, you know, the clock will start in the three-year time, but these changes will hopefully brought in, you know, early enough next year would be when I'd be hopeful now. We'll bring it before the house this year and it will take next year then to get it through the houses, you know, the first half or first quarter, I don't know, of next year. That's outside of my control how long it will take to go through the houses of the, the Dáil and the Shannon. But in any event, you know, it'll, the people have to pay for three years and once yeah. the three years has passed, then it'll stop, the clock will stop. So I would really just ask people not to delay their decision-making regarding and nursing home care about these changes. Okay, all right, and stay on dry land, uh, Jim. <laughs> and thanks a million for joining us on the programme. Thank you. Uh, good morning to you. That is the uh, junior minister for uh, older people, uh, Jim Daly, with his unexpected splash in Baltimore at the Leisure Centre in uh, Baltimore. As I say, it was uh, thanks to the Southern Star who managed to capture the moment. You may have seen the video over the weekend, but we couldn't we couldn't let the the day pass without checking in to make sure that he was uh, okay. We've been talking about recycling and talking about plastics and how this we're drowning in plastics and Maraid doing her little bit down in lovely Red Strand to collect plastics. Angela in Formoy likes to recycle and she has a bit of a dilemma. She said, I'm driving around for the last three days trying to get rid of my mineral cans for recycling. The library and the old Mart Yard bottle banks are all full. Well, they're full for the cans. Some of the bottle banks are empty. If you're putting in glass, you know, clear glass or green glass or brown glass but it's the can bank is full I still have the container of cans in my car and well done for being responsible enough leaving them in your car and not just dumping them there which God knows we see time and time again but that is that's a frustration for people I'm always saying it about recycling if we are to get people to recycle we have to make it as easy as possible for people. If you start to frustrate people's efforts when it comes to recycling, that's what leads to dumping. That's what leads to people saying, ah, this is too much like hard work and they'll give up on it. Angela, keep trying. I wonder, was there a telephone number that you could contact? It's, it's rehab, is it? Repack? Who's, who's actually responsible for those particular bring sites that you mentioned in Formoy or are they council operated? I wonder, could you get on to somebody to find out? Because normally if you put a call through to say that the bottle bank or the can bank is full, they normally will get out there as soon as possible and, you know, empty it so that it can, it can be available for uh, people. But well done for not just dumping the cans. You took them away uh, with you. 1850 on attending medical uh, centres. And this, I take it, is to do with medical centres and how busy doctor surgeries and doctor practices are. Joe was on to us. Now, he's, we're not going to mention the name of his doctor practice, but he's been with the same GP practice since uh, 1980. And he went in recently 
to see a doctor. And he was, do you have an appointment? No, I don't. And they said, well, you won't get seen today if you don't have an appointment. But he said, I'm sick today. I need to see a doctor today. And they said, well, sorry, it's, you know, completely full. And he said, well, look, I'm not standing here for the fun of it. I'm not going to spend between 50 and 60 euro to pay for my consultation. I'm here because I'm sick. And they were saying, no, sorry, no no appointment available. So he said, right, fine, I'm going to move to a different GP practice. Can I have my health notes and my health files so I can go to a different GP? I'm sick. I need to see a doctor. Now they straight away said, look, Joe, we don't want to lose you from the practice. And there was a bit of to and froing going on. And uh, in the end, they got him an appointment. But uh, he feels that now this is Joe's theory. He feels that some of the doctor's practices will say they're full. They're trying to push people to go to South Dock later in the evening where you pay more. I don't think that's the case, Joe. I don't think they're deliberately saying we won't give Joe an appointment. He can go to South Dock instead and it'll cost him more. I genuinely don't think any doctor's practice is, is doing that. They are literally flat out. They are literally that busy. We are, I I dread and I fear if you have loved ones living in England, ask them about trying to get to see a GP. I have family members living over in England and if any of the children in the house is sick, they normally will have, there's about four mobile phones, the household with teenagers, there's about four mobile phones going in the house and everybody will get onto a mobile phone all ringing the same GP practice. You have to ring between eight and half eight in the morning and if you're lucky enough to get one of the appointments for that day, you get it and if you're not, you're not. It is just tough. Um, I mean, and it is, it's that argument of how do you know you're going to be sick? I mean, if you wake up on a Monday morning sick, it's Monday morning you want to see a doctor. Okay, it's all right if you're going in for regular checkups, like you know you're going to have to get your bloods uh, checked or you know when you've got to go and get a repeat prescription, it's okay. You can plan that and book your appointment, you know, weeks in advance or months in advance if it's, you know, regular bloods, for example. But but when you're sick, you're sick. And if you wake up and a child is sick, the child is sick there and then and you need to see a, a GP. I know certainly in England because there is a shortage of GP practices per head of population, they have a huge problem with it. And we seem to be getting and going down the very same route here in Ireland because we don't have enough GPs per head of population and something we've done an interview on certainly earlier on in the year we spoke about it we have we know we have an ageing population but we also have an ageing population when it comes to GPs and a lot of younger doctors are not interested in getting involved in a GP uh, practice many of them are you know going into different branches of medicine we need to do something about future proofing our GP practices are this problem that we're already talking about now, that there's delays getting in to see a doctor or when you get in there, there's always going to be a wait. That situation is actually going to get worse rather than better unless the Department of Health and the powers that be do something to future-proof GP practices. And the only way they can do that, they need to train more young doctors to become GPs, as I say, for whatever reason, they don't all want to become uh, doctors all right, in, in GP practices, that's for sure. 1850 333 103. Uh, Kionet, and I'm, this is Kionet O'Sullivan, I'm assuming, in Clan was listening to Jim Daly saying that he was he had a wallet in his pocket when he fell into the pool and he was drawing out the 50 euro uh, notes. Kionet said, did I hear Minister Jim Daly admitting to money laundering? No, you did not. <laughs> uh, 
thank you for that. Okay, what else is in to us here? Any listener, this is says hi Patricia. Any I'm wondering if you've any update on the lights in the town park in Mill Street. It was raised on your programme at the back end of last week. I was walking down there this morning and the lights still haven't been uh, fixed. John Paul was waiting um, to get a number, a contact number from somebody who can hopefully sort out and let us know what's happening with the lights in the town park in Mill I thought it was a council issue and John Paul tells me it's not. Uh, so we are working on it. We don't have an update as of yet, but we haven't forgotten about it and we are working about working on it. We spoke in the last hour about wheelchair accessible buses to take people to and from West Cork and how there isn't any bus there and don't have wheelchair, they have wheelchair accessible buses in the city but they don't have them for people who need to go to and from West Cork. A listener says we went on holidays to West Cork last year and I was chatting with a retired couple in a cafe in West Cork. They were very disappointed that the buses were not wheelchair accessible. They had moved to West Cork when they retired and when they moved they were both able to drive but now now, with mobility reducing, they could see that they will be one day reliant on the bus and that day is coming sooner rather than later. They now are considering moving closer to the city, even though they love living in the area of West Cork where they are living. They have a good network of friends around them. They've settled into a nice little community, but they may find themselves in the situation that unless they get wheelchair accessible buses and buses that would be accessible for them as an older couple. Isn't that very sad? They've retired there. They're setting down roots. They're happy. And they they may now They never foresaw that this was going to happen, but they're now, as an older couple, going to have to sell up and move to be closer to the city. That really is really sad to hear. Hopefully, Boss Aaron are going to start listening and the council are going to start listening and do something about it because, you know, you add to it the point that uh, Evie made that we've tourists. We're we're losing out in tourists in West Cork because tourists will realise, no, it's not accessible, I can't get on the bus and it will stop people coming, which is a shame when you look at the great work that's going on in like the town of Clonakilty that have become the first autism friendly town. There's great work going on locally, but they have to, the local people are doing their bit but the infrastructure has to be in place so that people can access and get to and from West Cork. I was speaking about my credit card being compromised overnight and somebody trying to use my credit card to park a car in the Bronx in New York. Mary says, Patricia, I got a text a few months ago Uh, also from Permanent TSB to say that there were three transactions carried out. Two of them for for gambling uh, somewhere in London and there was a transaction in Dublin. In total over €200 was taken from my account. I rang online banking where they sent me out a form which I had to take to the local Garda station to sign and stamp it. And after a week or so, I was refunded the money back into my account. Also had to be issued with a new car and a new pin. It is happening all the time, says uh, Mary. So I got off really light because it got flagged early. The money hadn't gone out of my credit card. And I suppose because mine was a credit card rather than a debit card, and I'm, I'm assuming, Mary, with yours, it was a debit, because that was one of the questions I was asked. Was it a credit card or a debit card? I'd got the notification about it was my credit card as opposed to my debit card. But yeah, but for 200 euro to be taken out of your account, it's okay if you have a few extra euro in the account, but 200 euro being taken out of somebody's account and a direct debit maybe going in, you know, could put somebody in arrears with a a payment and 
could create all kinds of uh, problems. So we, yeah, we you do have to be so, so careful and keep an eye on transactions on your card. Thank you for your text, Mary, to 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. With Jobs Expo Cork. Coming to Parky Cueve on November 17th. Your bright new career begins here. Register at jobsexpo.ie. A person is wanted part-time to help at a horse stables. It's on the Cork Road outside of Mallow. A customer service rep is wanted to work in the Blackpool Retail Park. While a plasterer is required in the Mallow Cork area, you must have safe pass and own transport. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Cork Today with Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow. It's family run, so your loved one will feel at home. See breedhaven.ie. C103. Now, people in North Cork are very proud of Nanonagel, one of their own and founder of the Presentation Order of Nuns, an organisation that would ultimately reach 24 nations. A new book outlining the life and legacy of Nanonagel has just been published. And joining me, one of the three authors who put this book together, uh, Catherine Nolan, uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Catherine. Good morning. Uh, and you, you, you are welcome. Now, Nano Nagel will be very well known and loved. I mean, particularly in North Cork, there's the Living Heritage Centre in uh, Kilavollen, marking her uh, birthplace. And then, of course, we've the wonderful Nano Nagel place inside in the city. But why is so little written about her? I mean, she's as important as Edmund Rice and the Christian Brothers, but doesn't seem to get the same recognition. Well, she doesn't really. Um, why Why that is, I, I'm not sure. Perhaps uh, the fact that she was a woman, um, perhaps the fact that uh, her work and her dedication to her mission happened in the 18th century so long ago. Um, perhaps indeed that she was, she was the founders of the first of the modern Irish congregations, the presentations. So... Um, she herself really didn't consider herself worthy either. Um, and in terms of her legacy and her papers, there's, there's very little collection in terms of her own papers. There's a collection of letters, uh, some that she wrote to the first Ursuline novice, Sister Angela Fitzsimons, when she was in Paris in the novitiate, and some that she wrote to Theresa Mullally, who was a contemporary and a friend of hers here in Dublin. But beyond that, there is very little left of her life in terms of paper. So it's possibly a combination of all of those things and perhaps other things. Okay, so well done to you and to Deirdre and Katrina for putting uh, what is a a great book uh, uh, together. Um, And uh, talk to me first about her early life. I mean, she was born at a time when there was great poverty in this country, but she was born to a wealthy family. She was indeed, yeah. The Nagels, their their ancestry has been traced back to the Norman invasion. Life is full of what-ifs, some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. 
when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. ...of Ireland, and they, they were a wealthy Roman Catholic family. Um, we, we don't know particularly an awful lot about her, her early life. We... we think that it's reasonable to assume that her life would have been similar to those of her rank and her class. So in terms of her early education, um, she would have been tutored at home by scholars who would have been well-known edge school masters. When she was about 10, um, her parents sent her to the continent, again, like many girls of her rank in society. She completed her education on the continent. Um, Exactly where on the continent, we're not entirely sure. We believe, and the tradition is, that she went to the Benedictines in Ypres, but it is an oral tradition that gives us that information. There isn't anything that we can point to in records. Um, When she completed her education, uh, she stayed on in Paris. Um, The Nagels had family living among the immigrant community over there. So she moved to Paris with her younger sister, Anne, and she lived there with their sister until she was about 30. Um, They returned to Ireland in about 1746 when their father, Gareth, died, and they lived with their mother in Dublin for one or two years uh, until she and the mother died. And sadly, her sister Anne died just a year after. Well, she, had a, she, she had a lot of losses in, in that in that regard, people close to her. But she could have gone on to have been, you know, almost to, you know, a lady of leisure and maybe married and been lady of the manor. But she decided instead to dedicate herself to the care and education of Irish children and, and the poor uh, children. Mm-hmm. What do you think influenced her to take that route in life rather than the more genteel life of a lady? Well, as you say, the the deaths of her family in such quick succession, um, she returned to Cork, she returned to the family estate in Ballygriffin after the death of Anne. And um, while she was there, she involved herself with the families who were on the estate. And she saw the poverty uh, under which they were living. She saw that they weren't in receipt of any sort of education. Um, their religious instruction was also non-existent. This this impacted on her truly. So uh, what she did was she returned to the continent with, we believe, the idea to join a, um, to join a convent. But if she did, 
she didn't stay until the final profession. So um, she believed that she had a mission to return to Ireland, to return to Cork indeed, and to work among the children and to teach the children, to educate the children and to catechise them, to involve herself in religious instruction. Um, she and that first school in, in, in Cove uh, uh, Lane, sorry for interrupting you, that was opened in secret. That was opened in secret. Remember, Patricia, um, the penal legislation was still operating. It wasn't, they didn't begin to dismantle that until the 1770s. So it was the 1750, 1751 when she returned to Cove Lane to her brother Joseph and her sister-in-law Frances. So she had to be very circumspect. She had to be very careful. Um, The laws against education forbade Catholics to run schools, to operate schools. They they forbade Catholics to send their children abroad for education. So they were still in operation. So she had to be very careful. And she was. And then she started out with the Ursuline Sisters. What prompted her then to to find a new congregation, the, the Presentation Order? Well, her her mission was to extend uh, her work beyond her own lifetime. She realised that if uh, she didn't do something to address that, then all of her efforts really would fall to the wayside. Um, she attempted that in her um, founding of the Ursulines. She brought them to Cork, and she believed that they would do that job for her. The Ursulines... Uh, They set up their convent in 1771. Again, the penal legislation was there. So they followed the rule and they stayed within their enclosure. So they certainly worked in the school that she had in Cove Lane. But beyond that, they they didn't go. They couldn't go. So she still had her mission to deal with the children who were still in poverty. And what she wanted to do was she wanted to bring or have a congregation that would devote themselves exclusively to working with the poor. Um, So in the absence of finding anyone to do that for her, in the end, she established her own institute that became the Presentations. And of course, she was, she had a very independent spirit, didn't she? I mean, and that was probably one of the reasons why she became a nun late in life. She did. Um, in one of her letters to um, uh, Theresa Mullally, she, she believed herself not to be um, suited to religious life. She would have known about religious life from her time spent on the con- continent. And she was fairly clear that traditional religious life didn't suit the situation that was in Ireland. So um, she hadn't really believed that she, she would enter, but it was the absence of anybody else coming in to do what she wanted them to do. So in that absence, she decided that she would establish the Institute. Um, so that's what she did. Yeah, and look what it went on to uh, to achieve. And, and then her death, bless her heart, it was from being out there working with the poor and mixing with the poor and, and being with the poor. She picked up TB. She did, and she picked that up fairly early on. She was uh, able to tell Eleanor Fitzsimons in one of those letters uh, that she coughed up blood, and she coughed up blood on a regular basis. And she didn't tell anyone about it. Her fear was, if she did mention this, that she would be stopped from going into the schools. Um, So she didn't really look after her health to any great degree. When she finished her day's work in the schools around the city of Cork, she'd go out on visitations to people in their homes or the people in the north and south infirmaries. So 
she was relentless in her own efforts to a dedication to the work that she was doing. A woman ahead of her time? Very definitely. A woman ahead of her time. Remember, there was nothing like this in the country at the time. Um, it was demanding work. It was hard work. But it, it was absolutely her mission in life. And she dedicated half of her life to it, all up to her death in 1784. OK. Oh, as it is a terrific read. It, and it, it struck me you got a lot of support from presentation nuns in the research for the book. Yes, we did. Um, this year, 2018, is a special year for the presentation, um, and indeed, I suppose, the Earth Line, as she is their founders too. Um, it's the tercentenary of the year of Nano's death. So as part of the celebrations for that, the book has become um, integral to their, their efforts in that, and, and we were delighted to work with them. They were absolutely wonderful in opening their convents and their homes and sharing their history with us. It is a wonderful history. And have you been to the Nanonagel Centre in Ballygriffin and the one of the city, the Nanonagel Place? Yes, we yeah, have. Uh, great. We have. It, it, they, it is a fabulous, they're both fabulous resources. So yeah. the, the launch for the book a couple of weeks ago was in Nanonagel Place there in Douglas Street. It's, it's, it's a wonderful resource. And as, as a campus, it's actually very atmospheric because that is Nanonagel's own campus. It's where she started to yeah. build her her work. So. Something very something very special. And what, your own interest in, in Nano Nagel, dare I ask, were you were you educated by the presentation nuns? Uh, well, indeed, I was. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> That's right. And so you could, did, did you have a fascination with the woman? Um, well, I did. It, it's in later life. I think that as we get older, we try to explain who we are at all yeah. sorts of levels. Um, my professional background is education. I'm a teacher. Um, so I am a past pupil of presentation here in Clondalkin. So um, the two married together and it, it be- I did become fascinated. It's one of those things that when you start when you start reading old documents and handling old documents and you start reading about the lives of women who have come before you, it, it, it really becomes all absorbing. Yeah. And I have to say, having read the book, you, you've brought, you certainly brought her to life in, in the pages of this well, book. That's it's great to hear. It's, thank uh, you. it's lovely. Really enjoyed it. Listen, good luck with it, uh, Catherine. Thank you so much for taking time out to talk to us today. Well, thank you. Good morning to you. Uh, the book is called Nano Nagel, The Life and uh, Legacy. That was Catherine Nolan. Uh, there's three authors in total, uh, Deirdre Rafferty and uh, Katrina Delaney. 1850-333-103. Lines open. Court today. With Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow. It's family run so your loved one will feel at home. See breedhaven.ie C103 This Sunday evening, we flick the switch. Join C103 Cork as we turn on Cork's Christmas lights with Cork City Council. Cork City Council. Guaranteed I can blow your mind. It's going to be the biggest ever switch-on party on Patrick Street with the Academy of Popular Music, Cork Deaf Choir, the C103 Street Fleet, Santa Claus and more. Guaranteed I can play on mine. Join us for the switching on of Cork's Christmas lights this Sunday at 7.15pm with the Evening Echo. Guaranteed I can play on mine. 
and C103. Anyone who follows the wonderful blog Our Wheelie Big Journey will know that as a family they have spent a lot of time at Crumlin Children's Hospital because little Noah Myers has Escobar Syndrome and Noah also suffers from uh, scoliosis. His mum Sharon has decided to do something to make the stay at Crumlin a little easier for the parents and she joins me to discuss her Hugs for Crumlin campaign. Uh, good morning to you Sharon. Hi Patricia, uh, how are you? I'm, I'm, I'm well. This is, this is lovely. This really is uh, lovely. You're working on gift packs for the parents. Tell me what yes. you're looking for and the reaction that you're receiving to date. So essentially um, it's more, I suppose, the easiest way to describe it. Like a secret Santa gift, um, you know, goodie bag for parents who are inpatient with their kids in Crumlin Children's Hospital, I suppose, from my own experience. Um, you know, while I know it's the children that are in the hospital from a, an emotional perspective as parents, it's it's tough. So I just thought that maybe for a minute or two it might just help um, those parents, you know, just realise that someone's thinking of them, I suppose. Um, and, yeah, that's what the idea initially And is the, from. is the plan to hand them out at Christmas or are you going to have them there so they're there for all year round? No, I'll tell you, it'll probably, um, so uh, the closing date is this weekend for receiving the gifts or getting in the most of the gifts as okay. I can. And then I'm aiming then to kind of um, maybe about the first week of December to be bringing them up into the hospital. So it'll kind of have a Christmas feel to it, but... It'll be it'll be early December when it's going in, and it's just to say to the parents, look, we know you're going through a tough time. Here's something to cheer you up. Exactly, that's, ah. that's literally what it is. Yeah, because I just think from my own perspective, um, from being in the hospital, you know, that I suppose it's like a, a like a time warp. Yeah. There, you kind of get sucked in, and you don't know days from you know what day of the week it is or anything, and it's just something just to say you know here you go look here's a little pick me up it might keep you you know it might keep you going for a minute or two but it might just make the difference to someone's day that they're feeling when they're feeling totally helpless you know so kind of toiletries <laughs> and pampering products Ex- exactly I suppose so more so along the lines of what would you like to receive yourself as a gift um, as in you know beauty products hair products craft items you know small you know like scarves for women or jewellery um, things, little little items so I'm going to hopefully have between 5 and 10 items in each bag okay. and and then um, I'm hoping fingers crossed that I'll be I'll manage about 100 gift bags and are you getting a good reaction so far yeah, you know, I mean, it's 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 one of those things where because I've dropped off points around the country, I haven't yet, let's say, I suppose, physically got hold of all the items. But um, as the days and weeks go on, a lot more people seem to be wanting to get involved. Brilliant. And it seems promising anyway that I will get, I suppose, the 100 bags that I want to do. So fingers crossed. OK, and the big question is, how is Noah, Noah doing? Is he due for a scoliosis operation? He is, Patricia, yeah. So when is that? Um, we haven't got any dates. Okay. So, yes, you know yourself now. That'll probably be something um, that I'll be fighting for again in a couple of months. But, finger, look, hopefully I won't. But, um, yeah, so Noah has scoliosis. So he needs a surgery to straighten his spine, which is massive um, procedure in that it's metal rods inserted into 
spine to keep it in position. Um, so that will have to be done in Crumlin. And, you know, that's just one of the side effects of his syndrome. And sadly, so, scoliosis is one of the conditions that we hear about when it comes uh, uh, to waiting exactly, lists. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. It seems to be, there seems to be just a big issue surrounding waiting times. Um and, you know, it's, it's, look, I was, we were in a and unfortunately, the weekend with my husband, and it just seems to be the issue with the HSE in general just seems to be absolutely enormous. And, you know, it's it's something we always seem to have to be fighting for. But, uh, you know, look, at this stage, I haven't heard anything from Cumberland, so I'm hoping we might get in in a timely manner. But, you know, that's it. And does, does, does he need it sooner rather than later? Well, like I suppose with scoliosis, um, it, it progress. It can pro- progress quite rapidly, depending on growth and that. So, what would ha- usually happen is with a growth spurt, the scoliosis will progress quite rapidly. So, for example, Noah from February of last year to September of this year, his scoliosis has progressed by ten degrees. Oh. So, like um, you know, the longer that is left then obviously the more it will progress and then the the effectiveness of the procedure itself then is going to be reduced. So the kind of sooner you get in and do... It, 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 scoliosis is a funny thing because they don't want to do it too early and they don't want to do it too late. It's so, to get the exact right time. Can you it, see, exactly. looking at Noah, the effect the scoliosis is having on him? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, you know, and um, like, I mean, it's obviously it's a huge um, impact on, the pa- on posture and, you know, on tiredness, on pain. Now, we are very lucky, you know, it hasn't experienced any pain Great. from us yet, but we would be noticing now lately that he wouldn't be able to sit, sit unsupported for long periods of time. He'd get quite tired, he'd want to lie down. So it's definitely something that, you know, the, the problems of it are are creeping on. You can see it, you know. So you're getting to the stage where it can affect internal organs. So we will put pressure on organs in the body. And then obviously the longer it's left, the chances of you getting good results from the procedure are very slim. Yeah, so yeah, it's, so it's, it's fun. It's fun. Ah, <laughs> and outside of all of that, how is how is Noah doing? Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's thriving in school and, you know, I mean, Noah, I suppose that's the difference But Noah. I mean, he was born with his syndrome and, you know, he hasn't he hasn't experienced life any differently than the way it is. So I suppose from, from Noah's point of view, this is just normal and, you know, life is good and he doesn't see himself as different. So we're lucky that way, you know, we're lucky we have a, a child who is at ease with himself and the way he is, you know. And he's got a great outlook, but I, I do think, I've seen some of the video clips online and that, I, I do think Noah's outlook has got a lot to do with the family that's behind him. You all have <laughs> a very positive outlook, which you you have to have. Mm. Absolutely, Patricia. And looking at every day is great, I'll be honest. You know, I mean, I've had my meltdowns. I'm sure people on Instagram would would, would be often wondering, oh my God, this woman's losing her marbles. But, <laughs> you, you know, it's, it, this is reality and I think it's important to share the good times yeah, with the bad. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, this is, I suppose, a lot of families are, you know, going through things like this in Ireland and it's important for me to be a voice for them as well and show that, you know, things could be easier maybe if we had the support from, you know, our government point of view. But, there is also good. You can make a positive out of, you know, disability. It can be positive. 
But when you need, when a, a little boy like Noah needs an operation mm-hmm. on his spine and he needs it today, then you get it today. There shouldn't be, that shouldn't no. even be questioned that there's it any kind of delays. Be. It's it's just, it's, it's, I think of all of the waiting lists, it's the one that infuriates me and upsets me the most to think of children because I've interviewed parents who are talking about further down the, the road than you are, thankfully, with Noah Watching your child in pain is just no parent Absolutely. should be asked to do that. And, they, they really and we know we're heading for that route. That's that's scary, you know. And I mean, it's it's what's even more terrifying is that you have the consultants and the nurses, and they want to do it. Yeah. They know the urgency of this, but it's out of their control. And I think that's more terrifying than anything else is because they actually just can't. They they don't have the beds aren't there. They you know. It's it's crazy. It must be brutal on the consultants because they deal with the patients and they and they oh, know that they know the difference it's going to make. Okay, I could talk to you all day. You're <laughs> you're, you're fabulous as always, Sharon. The drop off points for gift items. I locally. have in Cork. I have um, Copper Hair Salon is in the city, and then there is um, another one in Glenmire. I can't. The name has gone for me now. It's a transport company. Um, and then I have Mitchellstown, obviously, as well, then, which is um, I Flutter uh, down in Lower Cork Street. OK, and we'll get a link up on our Facebook page uh, as well. All right, listen, Brilliant. Sharon, as always, pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for Patricia, that. Keep, thank you for having me. Keep fighting the fight. You're, you're an amazing <laughs> mother. God bless. I will. Thank Take you. Take care. Bye bye. That is uh, the lovely Sharon Myers, uh, and she runs the blog on behalf of the family, our big wheelie uh, journey. She's uh, they're an incredible family. You're listening to Cork today on replay phone and text lines are currently closed have an update for you and for listeners who contacted us about the lights being out in the town park in um, Mill Street. I am told that the powers that be in Mill Street are fixing the lights this week and they reckon they'll have all of them fully operational and working by next week. So that is, that issue is been addressed because we had a call in again today following up from some that we had last week. We were talking about recycling and someone had contacted us to say they're driving around with the, the car full of cans because when they went, it was Angela in from Oish, she was driving around for three days with her empty mineral cans all washed out, waiting to be recycled and she's gone to a couple of bring banks and the can bank part was full and it was rather frustrating. Helen in Canturk. Uh, very much can see uh, and sense Angela's frustration because she feels the same way. She says she can never understand why the council don't have can banks at every bring site they have across the county. When you go to some bottle banks, it'll just be bottle banks. They don't have a receptacle for the recycling of cans. Helen, that frustrates Helen. She said they were always being encouraged to recycle. They need to make it as easily as possible. And if they don't have can banks available, how is that making it easy for people? Helen, a little bit like Angela said, she's got a house that said they're, they're stockpiling cans at this stage. Well, initially, when bottle banks came in, if you think back to a number of years ago, there was always the bottle banks and the can bank always together. Might have been a closed bank there as well. But I think with the curbside recycling collection, when that became popular and then that's when they started, well, they certainly started lowering the number of bottle banks and they, but they certainly got rid of a lot of the can banks because people who have curbside recycling, which is most people who get their bins collected 
will have two or three wheelie bins. I'm now up to four wheelie bins because I also I'm in a very lucky position, I have to say, where I get my bottles collected curbside as well. I'm with Country Clean and they offer that facility, which is, I think, fabulous because I used to have to go to the bottle bank, but now I don't have to uh, anymore. But certainly the recycling when the re- when the recycling wheelie bins were introduced, I think it was at that point in time, the council realised they didn't need need as many of the can banks. Now, before people say, but we don't all get our bins collected. Absolutely. People live in areas where they don't have bin collections and other people prefer to get rid of their rubbish other ways rather than have a curbside collection or, or a bin collection. So there has to be facilities made for those people as well. But Helen, I think that is if I got onto the council that's what they would tell me is the reason why they now don't have a can bank at every single bring site so if you are one of those great great people who recycle by going to the can bank and to the bottle bank you just have to work out where your nearest uh, one is and then hopefully not be as frustrated as poor Angela is day three trying to find an empty can bank where she can dispose of her cans that she's been collecting over I don't know what period of time. Thank you for your call. Joan in West Cork says, Morning Patricia, seeing as you've got some politicians on the air this morning, can they please give a reason for the delay in payment of my illness benefit? It's all over the place. You never get it weekly. It's always on a different date. So stressful when there are bills to be paid. It's bad enough not being able to go to work because of illness without going to your bank or wherever, expecting the money to be there to discover it's not. And it's from Joan in West Cork. I didn't realise that the the problems with the illness benefit payment was still ongoing because certainly this time last month, people were raising objections. We were well into October when people started talking about the fact that there was a problem with illness payments uh, benefit. Uh, and I know... The at leaders' questions in the doll it was coming up. Various TDs were raising it, obviously, on behalf of their uh, of their constituents. And I'm reading a piece from October of from the journal.ie on the 18th of October, so last month, almost. Where are we at? The 12th of November, nearly a month ago now. And the tarnished assignment. Coveney said the Department of Social Protection was working to resolve the issues and Regina Doherty had sought a detailed report on how the changeover was communicated to both customer and uh, GPs and this is where the problem was. The The problem with the payment was to do with an automated system which was brought in for illness benefit and it meant unfortunately that some people for whatever reason there seemed to be confusion and uh, some people weren't getting paid or were getting paid Kind of stu- weird things were happening. Like I heard of people, for example, who were getting thirty-three euro put into their uh, account instead of the full amount, or they'd go to the bank and a small amount would be put in, and then a big amount might be put through the next day, and it was just causing great confusion. So I'm, 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 I'll have to do some research on it for you, uh, Joan, to find out what's going on. But as I say, I know up to a month ago they were saying that the reason for the delay was due to this new automated system for illness benefits that came in and there seemed to have been some kind of a problem communicating that to both customers and uh, to the GPs but as I say a month on I'm taken aback that it's still happening and obviously it is because it's happening to our Joan in West Cork so leave it with us uh, Joan we'll get on to maybe we'll get an email off to the Department of uh, Social Protection to find out where they're at with the problems that arose well over a month ago now and how close are they to having it uh, sorted out 1850 I don't know 
know how many other people have been affected by that delays in payments on illness benefit. And Dan was on to say, Patricia, I recently texted your show regarding the possible sweeping of misdemeanours under the carpet at high level with regard to Martin Callanan and Peter Taylor's pensions from Angarda Siakona, which is what happened. But it is surely a step too far that Martin Callanan has pulled a stroke to have the state, which is us, the taxpayer, provide his legal bills in the case against Morris McCabe in the up and coming civil case that's been taken says Dan well I don't quite know if you can call it um, as you say they're pulling a, a stroke because I do know that the Garda Commissioner Drew Harris is looking to reverse the decision to fund the legal defence of uh, Martin Callum it was before Drew Harris to went in as Garda Commissioner there was an acting Garda Commissioner there at the time and in in September of this year it was recommended to the Minister for Justice Charlie Flanagan that the state provide and fund the law, lawyers to defend Martin Callan in the case that it's been taken against the, the whistle, whistleblower um, Morris McCabe and uh, on legal advice it seems it's you know the government felt yeah this is the right uh, thing to do and Morris McCabe's case against the former commissioner that was lodged in July of this year and of course then subsequently we had the the, the Peter Charlton Justice Peter Charlton the case that came out which found that Martin Callan tried to link Sergeant McCabe to false allegations of sexual abuse and all that um, uh, came out the Guardian the Minister for Justice and the State and the Attorney General are all listed as co-defendants in what is a high court um, uh, case but it seems there is a law there that states that when that the state will is obliged to provide legal representations to Gardaí and to former Gardaí when they face legal action as a result of their actions in the course of uh, duty. But Drew Harris now is looking into this and thinks that maybe that, that while that is there, they are legally obliged to give legal representation because of what's come out of the tribunal. He feels maybe a new slant uh, should be looked at in this uh, particular case. So we're going to have to wait and uh, see has that slightly muddied the waters the findings of Justice Carlton that he engaged in the smear campaign against uh, Gardham McCabe so we will wait and see what uh, comes out of this but at the moment Martin Cannon is to have his uh, all of his legal costs paid for by the state unless the current Garda Commissioner Drew Harris can get that situation changed. Uh, 1850-333-103 Our lines are open. John Paul taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council Supporting businesses Supporting communities Serving Cork Visit corkcoco.ie the Donnerail Active Retirement Group, they are meeting this afternoon at three o'clock in the local community centre. You're invited to please take along your completed forms. Arts and crafts will be at two for all those that are interested. The Irish Blood Transfusion Service have got a blood donor clinic in the West Cork Hotel in Skibbereen and that is on this evening between five and half past eight. A two-day filmmaking workshop for young people will take place in Ballincollig next Saturday and Sunday. There are still a few places available and you can email corkyoungfilmmakers at gmail.com 
Bantier Drama Group are presenting Life, the gift that keeps on giving. It'll be at the Cork Arts Centre tomorrow, Tuesday, and that's got an eight o'clock start. While the West Cork Carers Support Group are holding an information evening on fair deal, nursing home support and legal matters. That's going to happen this Wednesday between seven and nine in the Maritime Hotel in Bantry. No charge for the event a booking would be helpful. 87 Court today with Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow. It's family run, so your loved one will feel at home. See breedhaven.ie. C103. And uh, Jimmy and Bantry says, Patricia, what an, an apt song to play following your piece on the news about UFOs. Well, I don't know if they were UFOs, but lights in the sky being sighted in the area. Good to see in the dark as Pink sings. And what about uh, us? And that's from uh, Jimmy in uh, Bantry. We've a lot of comedians I'm telling you today uh, texting in and uh, thanks Jimmy for that and also uh, hi Patricia this is by WhatsApp John Tariff GAA held an outstanding night of absolutely fabulous Strictly Come Dancing fundraiser in the Chandler Park Hotel on Saturday night last 900 tickets sold not a seat left well done to everybody who organised uh, this show and what a success and Jimmy said to all my fellow dancers you were simply the best thank you for that that's from John uh, Lenahan. Now, John Paul, our producer, joins me in studio this afternoon. Good afternoon to you, John Paul. Afternoon. And this is to share an incident that happened to our own John Paul Friday or Saturday night? Friday. Friday, Friday night, yeah. Okay. It's a strange one. I'm just interested to see if this has happened to other people out there. It's mainly probably a, a city issue. Uh, but uh, getting a taxi on Washington Street, I don't know if that's actually officially a, a taxi rank or not where I was, but there's always taxis there, there anyhow. Of, there are a line, line of them there, yeah. Okay. So getting a taxi there, uh, Friday night into Saturday morning, it wasn't that late, I'd say between 1 and, and 2 a.m. And jumped into the first taxi that was in the line because that's what you usually would do and uh, sat in and just said I was going to Mayfield Silver Springs I always I know they're they're next to each other but I just always said that because th- there's a difference where more it's on the on the hillside of it so it's, it spreads across uh, areas of the north so I just said Mayfield Silver Springs to the taxi man and he didn't reply so at this stage I had my seatbelt clipped in and I again said uh, Mayfield is, is that okay and he kind of looked at me and went, no, that's a bit of a trek. And initially it just came out of my mouth. I went to Mayfield. <laughs> he goes, yeah, but he said, I will take you there because I know you'd be offended otherwise. And I said, no, I won't be offended. I said, but I, I, it's only about 10 minute drive. It's not that far. And he was like, no, it's a trek, but I will take you there because I can see then you'll get offended. And I said, no, I won't. Do you want to go there? I said to him and he goes, no. I said, that's fine. I won't be offended. I said, I'll get another taxi. That's fine. Because okay, I just, I could tell by and, him he did not want to go. And, and OK, and it wasn't a local Cork taxi driver. It was no. a non-national. Non-national, non-national taxi national. driver, yeah. OK, so car number two then is parked behind. So then I was getting out. As I was getting out, I realised, now this looks bad because they're going to wonder why am I leaving this taxi and then going to go to the guy behind. Went to the guy behind um, and just opened his door and I said, and he said, why wouldn't the guy, actually no, before I got there he had his window rolled down, he was watching and he said, why didn't that guy take you? And I said, he would not take me to Silver Springs, he feels it's a trek. And then your man goes, and he was a local court guy, he goes, oh just, he said, look, go, go back, he said, go back to somebody else, go back to somebody else. So he didn't want. So he didn't want me either. So then I was like, (laughs) right. And and you and you're always very presentable and well dressed. And you weren't falling around. No, no, no. Very quite nice. Just to catch up. Very quite nice. So back to now. You're into taxi number three now. So this stage, then I was like, what is going on here? So I knocked at the third guy's window, and at this this stage, I was getting determined to go. What is happening with taxi services in Cork? If you can't go to Silver Springs or Mayfields on a Friday night, and it was quiet. 
I mean, the tone was very, very quiet. I was taken back how quiet it was. Uh, knocked at his window um, and he said to me, and I said, would you go to Silver Springs or will you go to Mayfield? And he said, yeah. I said, why wouldn't the first guy take you? And I said, he told me it was a trek. He said, have you cashed me? I said, yeah, I've cashed me. He said, yeah, no problem, come on. Went in, no hassle, drove me home. I gave him extra because... He was, was so pleasant so and, and everything, was, was but he, he could not understand. And he was also a non-national taxi okay. driver, but could not understand why the first guy would not take me to either Silver Springs or the Mayfield area, general area where I live. And what, it's, it's 12 euro, is it? Is 12 that euro, yeah, it, it would be yeah. roughly around 10 to 12, yeah. 13 euro. It kind of changes. Ne- never happened before? Never before, but I was speaking to people then after it and they were saying it's getting quite common that for some reason, some taxi drivers won't, not all, but some won't take them to certain, not to certain suburbs, to any suburb. Uh, I don't know why that is. Maybe they have an experience before. I don't know, but it seems... So where do they want to go? I would imagine in and around the city centre. The streets in and around the city centre. From what I can make out from people who've been in this situation before, they'll go as far as Barg Street. Uh, They might go as far as the North Cathedral, down over maybe beyond South Mall to the Blackrock Road, those areas. But anything more than five minutes, they don't want it. Yeah, I, I know. I, I mean, I just I can't get over because you say that's that is a relatively short time. If I asked if I hopped in and went and I wouldn't, I would always if I was going on a longer journey, I would always put my head in the door or in the window and say, are you going to Clonakilty, McCroom, Mallow? Because you expect them to say, no, I'm not going that far because yeah. they did arrange a price beforehand. Totally understand that because you don't expect the taxi man in the city centre to go that well, far Silver without... Springs Mayfield is a local on, run. Ten yeah. minutes out the road back yeah, in again. Yeah, because I know my husband on one or two occasions he normally would have his taxi booked if he was getting a taxi from the city out to Mallow like that at that hour of the morning. Mm. He would always have it booked but every now and again if for whatever reason he can't have it booked very hard and and I actually he gets enraged by it I can actually understand that they're not going to tie themselves up in a long run well they'll miss but a like, lot of runs if they're going to that's an hour I mean it's, yeah. it's probably 30 minutes to go to Mallow and then yeah. 30 minutes so back up so I can understand that but not for Silver Springs no it's never yeah. happened I mean it is it's 10 minutes it's the suburb it is the city uh, yes they won't take you so no it was it was only one person but I, again you can see the ripple off effect if you get out of a taxi and try and get another one you can't get one I was lucky I got the third guy but if you were on your own and not familiar with the city or if you were new to Cork or uh, there's so many things could have gone wrong well, you could have I, walked I down the side thinking, streets looking for another taxi yeah I was thinking a young girl a young yeah. woman trying to get a ta- you know mm-hmm. maybe broke, broke away from her friends trying to get a taxi home you, you know you see a taxi rank you think the first taxi you jump into you're going to be okay yeah Alright, I can see the phone lines ringing already. We're, we're looking for people to see has it happened to anybody else. Thanks for that. Um, that's our, our own John Paul who was to say very respectable and wasn't because you instantly think of when you hear of somebody a taxi driver saying I don't want to take you at that hour of the morning you, you, you straight away think oh yeah what kind of a condition was the person in I can absolutely vouch for our own John Paul he wasn't falling around the place drunk he looked very respectable he had the cash on he was going to be able to pay uh, for the taxi one so I'm just wondering has it happened to anybody else uh, or have you heard of that happening to many other people that they get refused because the taxi driver doesn't want to do the particular run it's not for any of the other reasons that could happen late on a Friday, Saturday night, but because they don't want to do uh, a run. 1850-333-103. OK, some more of your texts coming in to the programme. 
Um, uh, Lisa says, uh, hi Patricia, would you say congratulations to Brendan Murray, who was doing really well in the live show on X Factor. He's the only Irish entrant. He's a lovely lad. Well done to Brendan, says uh, Lisa. I've seen him once or twice. I'm not actively following X Factor. I'm kind of dipping in and out of it. But because he represented Ireland in the Eurovision Song Contest, didn't he, one one year? I mean, he's he's a great singer, very unusual voice, but he is a good singer. I know he, one of the X Factors I watched, he was down to the last, they, they thought he was going to go home, but he got saved. So it's good to know that he's still doing well. And Lisa, one of our listeners, a fan of Brendan Murray. I don't know many, how many other people are watching X Factor and have fallen in love with Brendan Murray. Is he going to do? Is he going to go all the way? I don't know. Um, and also, this is a different Lisa says, Hi Patricia, I applied for fuel allowance at the end of August and I heard nothing. So I phoned two weeks ago to be told it was lying in a bundle of forms with no answer yet. Okay, I phoned again last week to be told similar story. Last Friday, I received a bundle of forms to fill in looking for bank statements, etc. I think this is a disgrace. The fuel allowance was due and has been paid since the start of October. Imagine having to wait that length of time and then you receive all these forms back in for uh, assessment. Our social welfare system is a disgrace, says uh, Lisa. So I take it when you applied initially, you thought you had all of the forms filled in, but obviously if they've come, they've come back looking for addition in information and if they're looking for additional information then you are that means that's going to be a further delay. The only thing is, I now I would have to check, but usually for any of those particular type of payments, it will be backdated. I know you're saying you want the money now, you want to be able to buy the fuel now, but it will be backdated if you are uh, entitled to it. And any of those means tested payments, they have to dot all the I's, they have to cross all the T's, they have to do all of the checks. I can, I can, under, I can understand it. I do wish there was a speedier system to it, Lisa. And the fact that your application was lying on a bundle of forms that somebody had to get to, they obviously there isn't enough staff. It's a busy time of the year if everybody's applying all at the one at the one time. You you would think they would get extra staff in. It does seem very very unfortunate. Good luck with it, and hopefully you get everything in. Give them absolutely everything that they're looking for. Double check, triple check to make sure that you've got everything signed what's meant to be signed and every bank statement that they're looking for. Get it all into them at least and fingers crossed. You'll get a decision back uh, sooner rather than later and you'll get your back pay and you'll get uh, sorted out. And a huge amount of sympathies uh, going to this listener. When we were talking earlier about people contacting their doctor and trying to get a doctor's appointment and people are saying it's not as easy now to get a doctor's appointment as it once was. And I was, you know, defending the GP, saying they're all much busier. We have more people now entitled to GP cards and medical cards. That's putting additional pressure on GP practices. We've got extra people living in this country. Our population size is bigger. We need more people training and deciding that they want to have a career as GPs. We've got an ageing population when it comes to our GPs. We have a number of them deciding to retire and they're not being replaced with younger GPs. So, you know, you can you can sort of see what, what's happening and it's just a situation that is just getting worse and worse and something needs to be done about it. And, you know, people are complaining that when they go to the GP practice, they, they get very annoyed when they can't get an appointment with the particular doctor that they want to see are also people getting annoyed that they go in with an appointment and they're made to wait excessive periods of time. Well, Yvonne says, 
Now this was something that happened about three years ago or so. Um, Yvonne said, we had occasion, I had to ring on a Friday evening to our ultra-modern GP practice running a you know, local health centre. It was 10 to 5. My dad wasn't feeling well. He'd come back from town at about half four and I was told by the receptionist at 10 to 5, only one doctor available in this large local health care centre and he couldn't come out and the receptionist suggested wait until six o'clock and ring South Dock. I told her, I don't think my dad will be here by six. He's very, very unwell and he is deteriorating rapidly. She asked, why didn't you bring him in earlier in the day if that's the case? I said, he wasn't sick earlier in the day. Came home from town at half five, unwell and now there is a rapid deterioration. I asked to speak to the doctor. I did speak with the doctor but he told me the same thing. Only doctor in the practice. I can't leave. Wait and ring South Dock at 6.15. He did come out at six. Uh, wait and ring South Dock at six, at six o'clock. Instead, now he came out, I don't know if it was South Dock or the doctor that was in the GP practice, came out at a quarter past uh, six and rang for an ambulance to be told no ambulance available until 8pm. We ended up having to bring Dad to hospital in a van. He had pneumonia. He died later. Not really sad. It is time people started marching about our health service. People were well able to march when they didn't want to pay their water bills. They were well able to march when they wanted to see abortion introduced in this country. But our most fundamental needs, a decent quality health service. We just seem to put up with anything. Wake up Ireland. Uh, says Yvonne. What a sad, a sad story. I don't know how soon afterwards her dad died, but my sympathies to you, Yvonne. And awful for you to go through something like that. I mean, you know, there's a variety of things in there. The doctor, I suppose, being the only doctor on, couldn't leave the practice. So that's the, the you know, the, the first issue you were faced with. And then for a doctor to come out and to ring in an ambulance not to be available and then to be expected to wait and then to get your dad finally in, but not even to go in in an ambulance to bring him in in a van. It's just... Sort of a series of events uh, going wrong for you. Very, very unfortunate. But our our, our deepest sympathies uh, to you. It's tough enough to lose your dad without something like that. And you there with him, you know, willing him to get better and, and watching this rapid decline and help doesn't seem to be on the way. Heartbreaking indeed. 1850 333 103. And a couple of people on for um, what John Paul was uh, talking about with the taxi drivers. One saying, poor John Paul, what a thing to encounter. You're either a taxi driver or you're not. Yeah, says one uh, listener. And a couple of other people are making the same point. And I don't know if John Paul got the taxi driver's numbers uh, well, there's two in question if you got their numbers or not, but that they should be re- reported to the taxi regulator. You're not la- allowed to uh, refuse. Because I, I know at Dublin Airport there was a big problem with that where people didn't want to do the shorter runs. They wanted the long runs out from uh, the airport and people were told if that happened to you to take the number and report it to the regulator. Like a person can actually lose their taxi licence uh, if they are reported to the regulator and it's proven that they re- they refused uh, enough fares. And Jim says, Patricia, in Australia, it is illegal for a taxi driver to refuse uh, a fare no matter how long or how short the taxi wa- taxi journey is. Uh, they must accept it. That's in Australia. I don't know if it's the same here, but you certainly can report to the taxi regulator. OK, thank you for some suggestions there uh, for John Paul. 1850 John Paul is taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 
103. We're going to take a break and we're back talking with Annalise Dressel from the Health Hub, Times Square in Balancolic. Court today with Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow. It's family run, so your loved one will feel at home. See breedhaven.ie. C103. We're off to the Health Hub, Times Square in Balancolic, where I'm joined by Annalise Dressel. Good afternoon to you, Annalise. Good afternoon, Patricia. And How t- are you? I'm very well. Today we're going to talk about insomnia because uh, a listener asked uh, that we would deal with insomnia, so we're going to talk about it with regard to stress management and uh, sleep and how stress uh, can affect uh, sleep. But firstly, just to let people know, because I don't know if many people are aware of this, the government are trying to introduce VAT onto health supplements. Yes, that's right, Patricia. So, (coughs) excuse me, up until now, there's been no VAT on a health supplement, which I think is fair because I think if people have a vested interest in keeping themselves healthy, I think it seems to be ridiculous that we would put a 23% charge on vitamin C and vitamin D for bones, etc. But it looks like that VAT will come in this month. So I'm asking all my customers and your listeners to try and um, sign a petition against it. There is a website called stopthisvat.ie and they can sign an online petition there I'm taking names here in the shop and I'm going to get that into um, my TD as well. So I think we really need to kind of fight this because... And is um, it that at 23% that talk about putting on? I, that's it. Whoa, that's a luxury. That's the, the VAT rate for a luxury brand. For I know, lo- it's absolutely Ah, come on, like, how can vitamins be deemed a luxury item? Well, in actual fact, you know the toilet paper is also vatted, Patricia. Yeah. So that's also a luxury item in the eyes of our government. But we do have to, we have to kind of stop these things because, you know, it's just going to keep getting worse and worse, all of this kind of stealth tax that we're paying. And what really bugs me about this one is that it's people who keep themselves healthy. So ultimately, we're less of a burden on the healthcare system and on the taxpayer. It doesn't cost as much to keep us in medications and doctor's visits and surgeries mm. because we keep ourselves healthy and then we're penalised for it. I'd love to see them slap a 23% VAT on pharmaceutical drugs. Yeah, and that won't happen, but, you're, won't but, happen. You, but you're right. Okay, so stop, stop this vat.ie is the w- website stop where you can go. Stopthisvat.ie or if people want to write their local TD or if they're, if they're close to Balancholic, they can come in and they can sign my petition here. But I'd say a lot of local health shops will be we'll have them as well. As yeah. well. So definitely um, um, check in there. Yeah, people power. Okay, we want to talk about uh, insomnia and people having problems sleeping and how it's all linked to uh, stress. It's what, it, it, would you say it is one of the side effects of stress? Well, there's a few reasons, I suppose, for insomnia, Patricia. Um, I mean, one of them, I think, often and mostly, I, I notice as well, it's women that suffer from poor sleep. And I think it's because of years waking up and keeping half an ear out for children. And it just becomes a kind of an ingrained pattern of poor sleep. Also, throughout menopause, a lot of women will find that their sleep suffers. But across the board, the majority, I think, of the sleep problems are coming from stress. Um, that I see coming into the shop and it would affect men and women equally. Um, So, yeah, I think that's probably a massive cause and it's about people going to bed still. um, There's two reasons for it. Like one is just going to bed worried, but the other reason is actually at night time, our stress hormone naturally drops to a very, very low level and that gets us ready for sleep and that combined with a sleep hormone called melatonin that's activated when it becomes dark that makes us feel sleepy and gets us into our usual sleep cycle. But for people when they suffer from long-term stress, they actually affect the balance of their stress hormones. And sometimes 
people will often say, I'll get a second wind at around 10 or 11 at night. And what's happening there is they're actually getting a peak of a stress hormone that's giving them that kind of adrenaline cortisol rush. So when they're going to bed, their brain is busy, 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 and they can't get off to sleep. So are there foods that can, that you should avoid that's going to add to the problem? Yeah, definitely. So I think, I mean, sugar, of course, is the worst one. Um, sugar will definitely kind of make you hyper and, and keep you awake. Chocolate, actually, a lot of people would have a bit of chocolate at night time with a cup of tea. There is caffeine in chocolate. So avoid, you know, chocolate and even dark chocolate. There's plenty, plenty caffeine in dark chocolate as well. So that, and then of course everybody knows about tea and coffee, avoid that. If you're inclined to wake up in the middle of the night, avoid drinking from maybe six o'clock onwards so that you don't need to get up to go for a wee um, and that will help as well. But I think, yes, caffeine and um, a lot of the other supplements that would kind of have a bit of energy giving stuff like ginseng and guarana, avoid anything like that as well at night time. Because some people will talk about I can go off to sleep and then I'll wake and can't go back to sleep. Yeah, and that's, an, that's a question sometimes we'd ask uh, as naturopathic nutritionists. We'd say, you know, well, what time do you wake? And if you wake at around two or three, it can sometimes be, we, we might think it's liverish. Um, your liver is very, very active at night. It does a lot of detoxifying. Um, and some people will wake up because their liver is overactive. Um, so that's, that's another reason maybe people are waking up. And then a third reason, I think, um, for that, so there's getting up to go to the liver and then I think for some people, their blood sugar might drop, especially if you haven't eaten from about six o'clock in the evening. And if your blood sugar drops, your stress hormone cortisol kicks in to naturally bring up your blood sugar. And I think if this happens when you're in the middle of a kind of, a, you know, you go from deep sleep to light sleep back into deep sleep, you yeah. go through those cycles. I think if your blood sugar drops when you're in one of the sort of the middle of the cycle, um, just before you go back into a deep sleep, I think you can wake up, cortisol kicks in with a bit of adrenaline and that starts off the busy, busy brain. So having a small snack before you go to bed can help, especially if you're one of those people as well that um, um, feel dizzy or lightheaded or tired if 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 you don't eat, you know, if it affects you badly. Okay, stay on the foods then, the foods to include. So the foods to include, so tryptophan is um, a protein that we find in certain products, particularly dairy products. So that's why the old wives' tale of have a, a glass of warm milk and honey before bed um, to help you sleep is so important. There's a lot of tryptophan in um, di- milk and dairy products. And tryptophan is the precursor to melatonin, our sleep hormone, so it can help us produce that hormone that helps us feel sleepy. So um, a glass of warm milk at night is very good. Uh, or yogurt. I think a yogurt is a great snack to have at about half nine because it'll keep your blood sugars up. There'll be plenty of tryptophan in it to kind of help you off to sleep as well. And you can even actually buy um, sleep milk, Patricia, in the supermarkets now where the cows naturally produce more melatonin in their milk at night. Yeah, because they're milked at night. Yeah, they're milked at night. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, exactly. So that could be something worth a try. So other tryptophan-rich foods would be things like turkey, chicken, certain amounts of fish as well, so maybe having fish for dinner. Fish often as well is very easy to digest, so it means if you're, you're not going to bed on a full, heavy stomach, and that can aid sleep as well. So um, they would be the main ones to include for sleep. Supplements? Supplement-wise, um, there's quite a few on the market now. The, probably the most traditional one would be valerian. Um, Dr. Delish Clare does a great one. It's a relaxed blend. 
Um, and Dr. Vogels do, Alfred Vogels, they do um, one called Dormazan, D-O-R-M-E-S-A-N. And they're both mostly based on Valerian. The Delish Clare one has a lot of other things in there, like passion um, flower, and um, which is another kind of a natural sleep remedy. So they, none of the sleep remedies, the natural ones, work to actually make you sleepy or groggy. So they're great because you don't have that hungover feeling the next day. So um, if they work for you, what they work on doing is bringing down the cortisol stress hormones to help you feel really nice and calm. So they're worth a try. Other things as well, some people find that cherry juice is excellent to get them to go asleep. Magnesium is a very popular one at the moment for people looking to go asleep. And magnesium, I always think anyway, you should take at night if you are taking it as a supplement because it interferes with calcium absorption. So if you take about a half an hour before you go to bed, it's not going to interfere with the calcium and it'll help you get a good night's sleep. Um, Other typical ones would be L-theanine, there's another one called Melissa, which is also called Lemon Balm, uh, a different name for the same herb. So you'll get ones that will be combinations as well. Melissa Dream is a combination one where you get magnesium, passion flower, the L-theanine um, and the B vitamins as well to all kind of aid sleep. So my advice for people is try one, see does it work. And if it doesn't, don't give up. There might be another one that will work for you. And actually, the cannabis oil now as well, Patricia, I'm getting great feedback on that for stress and sleep too. Is it the CBD oil? The CBD oil, oil yeah. 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 Um, actually, you mentioned cherry uh, juice. Eileen was on to say, how many times a day can I take cherry juice? I bought it in the health shop. It was concentrated, but I watered it down. Is it okay to water it down or am I better drinking it concentrated? No, can you, it's I, great can, to water it down. It's yeah. a great, refreshing drink. And to be honest, you can drink it as much as you want because it's a food. So you're not going to o- overdose on it. But, I mean, there are calories in it, I suppose. Um, but I think a tablespoon is enough. If you drink more than that, you're not getting any added benefit. Okay, a Mallow listener says, I've been taking sleeping tablets for years. I actually couldn't sleep without them. Now suddenly, I've no bother sleeping without tablets. And I'm wondering, is this normal? Or no. is there something else <laughs> brewing? No, it's great. Don't question it. Just go with it. Um, most people find it really hard to come off sleeping tablets, Patricia. And the awful thing about them as well is that you build up a tolerance so people end up actually taking them and still really not getting a good sleep. Also, people will often feel very groggy in the morning. So if you're able to sleep now without tablets, that's absolutely fantastic. You know, it's great because so many other people have a problem coming off. Yeah, well, you could think they're highly addictive as well. Uh, Mary says, I wake early, then I fall back to sleep again. But when I wake up, I'm tired. Um, I'm in menopause. Could that have anything to do with it? very common. Yeah, a lot of people with, a lot of menopausal, women find that their quality of their sleep is very, very poor. It's not even so much that they can't go off to sleep. It's just they wake and they never get fully back into a deep sleep. So they're in that kind of halfway zone. And in those cases, the sleep remedies can help. But I really think you need to work on the hormone balance. So take a natural plant hormone. um, Something like sage can help with the hot flushes. The plant estrogens like the lignans. Um, like the uh, health, those health supplements are brilliant for helping balance the hormones. They're great as a natural HRT. And if none of the natural ones work for you, take HRT and have a good quality of life. Would take you, the medication. Yeah. And, but you have to go to, go to your doctor for that. When you mentioned the warm milk, Tim says, what about cocoa and Ovaltine, the old traditional drinks? Yeah, now cocoa, again, I wouldn't because like, if it's proper, you know, cocoa, there'll be quite a bit of caffeine in it. 
Um, the Ovaltine, the malt one um, that can maybe I think what there is what's it called Ovaltine, yeah, yeah, Ovaltine, yeah. Yeah, if you it, to be honest, the milk is what's the trip to fat yeah. in, so that's the one that you really want if you want to put in a small bit of cocoa and it doesn't keep you awake. Great. Um, and the same with the Ovaltine, but it's really the milk that's doing the job. And a listener says, I swear by Vicks Night Nurse when I can't sleep. There's obviously some sedative in it. There is, absolutely. Yeah. And a lot of people also take antihistamines <laughs> to go asleep as well because they'll make you drowsy. Okay. <laughs> but again, they'll, you, you'll probably end up with a bit of a hangover from those. The following morning you'll feel groggy. And actually also that it is over time it's going to... Um, you're going to have to keep upping your dose. Okay, so when it says as you get older, do you just need less sleep? Um, I don't know, really, Patricia. They say so. But, like, oh, God, if I don't get my sleep now, I'm like a bear. Whereas when I was younger, I could live on two hours sleep a night and, you know, party all night and work all day. It was no problem. So I don't, I don't know, really. I think everybody is, it's a very individual. And everyone's different. Yeah, yeah. everyone's different. Some people need their eight hours and some people are good on six. Okay, Lucy says you need to stop the screen time before bed. That's driving everybody nuts. Hugely important, Patricia. Like, try and stop watching TV about a half an hour before bed. Don't bring your phone or screens into the room. Keep your phone outside the door. You don't want those mobile phone signals beeping throughout your body at the night time. And the other thing is, is... um, Get rid of all of the little lights. You know, if you have a television in your bedroom, don't put it on standby and have that blinking light. Make sure your bedroom has no electrical lights on whatsoever and that it's dark. And that really, because a lot of people are very sensitive to any geopathic or electrical stress and that'll interfere with the quality of their sleep. Okay, all right, uh, we leave it there. Thank you for that, Annalise. Have a a lovely week and we'll chat again next Monday. That's Annalise Trussell of the Health Hub, Times Square in Ballancolic. And once again, I direct you to that online petition, stopthisvat.ie. If you want to stop the possible introduction of 23% VAT that they're going to put on all health food supplements and it is due to kick in in January of uh, 2019, which isn't that far away. Okay, that's where I leave you for today. My thanks to uh, John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick is with you for the afternoon and we are back with you tomorrow morning um, at uh, 10 o'clock. Of course, you can contact us uh, throughout when we're off air. Our email address is there, patricia at c103.ie until tomorrow at 10. Have a lovely afternoon. Court today with Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow. It's family run, so your loved one will feel at home. See Breedhaven.ie. C103. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.